the latest thinking and developments from the international B2B marketing space, this is BBN Mixtape. And mixing it up for us today is Ed Davis. Hello and welcome to BBN Mixtape. I am your host, Ed Davis. Today we are joined by Andreas Thua, founder and creative director of Itio, a BBN partner and Norway's leading BB, B2B agency. Andreas, how are you, sir? Excellent, thank you. And how are you? I'm doing really, really well. Um, we're really happy to have you on on the uh, podcast. And I should probably set the the context for why you're joining us uh, for this episode. Your team has written an extensive white paper and blog series called The Courageous CMO. And with BBN being a collective organization that we are, we asked you if we could use your white paper as the basis for a campaign. Of course, you happily agreed. Um, but we wanted to have you on the podcast to query some of the more interesting points that you've written about. First, uh, what I wanted to get a little bit behind the scenes, what prompted your team to conceive and write the white paper? Because I don't believe it was merely to develop a strong piece of marketing content for your agency. It seems to be motivated a bit differently than that. Exactly. And I think that uh, for us, it was about helping the local, our customers and the local uh, B2B part of our industry to pretty much help them take the position that they want to have. Um, I think that B2B as a discipline in Norway is not very well known. Um, The B2C part has been more prestigious and all the budgets have gone more to B2C marketers. So for us, it was about helping our um, customers and helping the industry get a stronger recognition to how complex and how challenging it is to be a B2B marketer. And uh, also, it's also so that the lowest budgets in marketing goes to B2B and the biggest demands are also on the B2B marketer. So for us, it was about um, get insp- inspiring and helping our customers and the B2B market to help them um, c- climb higher up on the strategic ladder internally. That's awesome. And so that actually fits with the campaign that we've come up with for for BBN, which is sort of be to better, be to bolder, be to brave, and ensuring that as communicators, we're challenging ourselves and each other to greater achievement. And I think one of the, I, I think where some of that sets, starts, excuse me, is, is, in, in, is in one of the sections that I immediately took note of which is where you all talk about clients having a line item in their budget for creative. Um, And I couldn't agree more, although I don't know, I can't recall the last time that I've sort of talked about that when I'm, when I'm working with a client on budgeting or, or when a client has actually done that in practice, how do those conversations transpire with your clients in terms of, Hey, let's make sure the foundations of our, of our insights are creative. That's built into our, our budgets. I think the challenge, uh, and obviously I can't speak from a global perspective, I'm uh, looking more at the Nordic level, but there are a lack of awareness and knowledge in the C-level suite about uh, the importance of a brand. Because many executives look at branding or marketing as a tool to get in the quick sales and to do and to increase revenues. Uh, and I think that uh, approach is... Uh, founded in a lack of uh, knowledge on how 
a stronger brand contributes to uh, the company's uh, ability to achieve their financial goals. So I think you first need to look at what the brand really is. And the answer to that, obviously, is what a company wants to be internally and what it wants to be perceived externally. So the marketing and the communication in that regards is pretty much the tool to build these relations, both internally and externally. And, and that really taps us into creativity. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned there, you know, is it different in the Nordics versus globally? I would submit that fundamentally, CMOs, communicators at large, no matter if you're in the US, if you're in the Nordics, if you're in APAC, they deal with a similar set of issues, right? I, it's, and it's, it's one of the things that I actually find quite comforting when, when we as a group uh, within BBN get together for like our our annual meetings and our academies and stuff like that is, you know, I hear from, from folks at ITIO or folks at Green Hat or, or Fifth Ring or wherever, and they're all sort of dealing with the same sort of conversations with clients. Um, I think one of the other things that, <laughs> that, that I was really interested in you expanding on is you give a bit of a contemporary take on the concept that we at BBN have subscribed to in terms of, 95% of B2B buyers are actually not in market at any given time in a really long buying cycle. But the, the, the bit that I focused on that I found a bit novel and, and, and really interesting was BEO versus SEO. Can you first talk about what BEO is and then talk about, expand on the importance of, of, of why that versus a focus on SEO? Absolutely. And the BEO is obviously a phrase that I've borrowed from someone else, but the, okay. the, the uh, expression is called brain engine optimization. And the discussion is brain engine optimization versus search engine optimization. Because what this really comes from is that the most, the most powerful search engine out there in, uh, globally is the brains that we all have. And uh, we all know that most purchases and most, uh, purchase decision doesn't start on the Google. It starts by us searching in our own minds and memories. And this is, of course, comes down from brain research and work done by Professor Daniel Kahneman and others talking about all the memories and all the uh, mental shortcuts we have integrated in our brain where most decisions are made instinctively and before we're aware of them and the rational part doesn't really play a mind. So Basically, the importance of brain engine optimization is that we as individuals, we often choose the brands that we know, both as consumers, but also in, in the workday. So what we need to do is that we need to build mental shortcuts and connections to category entry points, obviously influenced by Aaron Bass Institutes. And yep. by build, building these connections, our brands... Uh, will over time be more visible in the minds and the mental shortcuts within our target groups. And if we're able and successful to do that, the, the, the odds and the, um, the likelihood of us being chosen obviously increases. So I think it's about influencing the minds of our customers and it really gives the renaissance for the top of mind expression again, as, right. as opposed to the 15 last year we've had of performance marketing. 
do you do you find I, I was just thinking about this as we were coming um as as I was getting ready to to talk to you. Do you find that your clients or prospects are use certain terms interchangeably and 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 this is related to sort of the BEO idea. You know, I I see you know interchangeably clients or prospects will say things like brand visibility, brand awareness, brand salience, and, and, and always, you know, in different, in, in different sort of concepts or constructs, do, do you find that perhaps one of the things that we need to do is, is create better definitions around that as marketers so that everybody's sort of working from the same play sheet? I think uh, we at least need to build less uh, definitions and okay. uh, and focus more on uh, uh, the things that people actually understand. And I think that we need to make, uh, and I think in order for the CMO to be more courageous and the CMO to be more strategic, uh, strategically relevant, I think I think the CMO has to use language and words that people know and understand. Yeah. Uh, and then they have to make marketing very tangible. What is it? What is a brand? And why is it important for us to win more market shares? And of course, uh, win more customers into the future. So um, the point that I want to make and address is that uh, what we need to do is that we need to understand how our customers function and how they work. And, and we need to play to that. And we need to maybe simplify our communication. We need to talk more in the language that people understand. Uh, and I'm, I always say that the, the best marketing campaign I know of through, throughout the last decades is IBM's, you don't get fired for choosing IBM because that really plays to what it's all about. We as individuals and humans, we want to make safe choices. We right. want to make the choices that makes ourselves more successful and uh, basically, it comes down to the good old research that the brand that remembers I remember first is also the ones that uh, wins the most business. So right. I, I think that's at least my attempt for a good answer. Um, no, I think I think it's a I think it's a it's a really good perspective, um, and I think it, it it it's it's right in saying, you know, the the burden is on the marketers is on the communicators in terms of the language that they use to connect. Um, what it is that they're doing and justification for why it is that they're doing it. And I think that that gets into sort of the next point that I wanted to cover with you. You make the assertion uh, in your white paper that a lot of marketers, a lot of communicators are using data incorrectly. And I, you know, in my head, I, I go to part of it is a typically most people got into communications because they, they, they didn't like the, the, the science numbers part of their education, right? And this allowed them to be more creative. I think the other part of it too is, you know, we've come up with all these platforms and tools and algorithms to come up with any number that you want. And therefore, you know, we can paint whatever story or we can, we can tell whatever story we want to tell. And, and so I find it a bit refreshing that, that you've talked about that in your paper. Can you expand on that just a little bit more? Yeah, I can probably start with how you should use data. Yeah. And uh, I think that most marketers don't really have a budget line for uh, investing in insight and analysis in the way that they should. I think that's pretty much reserved for many of the bigger brands that has uh, 
done this over years and I can actually invest in this in, in solid market research and understanding the customers. Because w- what I believe is that uh, CMOs and marketing departments needs to find smart ways in terms of uh, collecting data and uh, using insight because um, especially within B2B, um, there are so many ads that doesn't work. There are so many ads that never gets noticed and most marketing that is created uh, is, forgot, is forgotten as soon as it's produced. So yeah. basically, we need to be more courageous. We need to make bolder choice. We need to be more brave. And, and that's why we need insight. That's why we need data, because this data makes you brave. And this data gives you the security to, to, make, to make the really courageous moves. So And also, it also helps create uh, more traction and uh it also helps convince the rest of the uh, organization that why you should do something. Uh, but the problem that really addressed the key part of your question is that uh, there has been a trend for many years, especially in PR where I have my roots, is yeah. that you have, um, you, when you want to do something and you don't have a strong enough story, you go out and you buy some research that validates your findings. Mm-hmm. So basically, and you use that to get the attention and you use that to validate uh, whatever you say. And then if you have asked 15 questions to consumers and the audience, you maybe use that one piece of data that really underlines what you really want to say. So uh, the challenge with that is that... Um, when you do that, you kind of you, you, you kind of influence and you interpret the data and the way you use and the, uh, to, to underline what you want to say and not tell the real story. So what we marketers need to talk about is is this ethical? Um, is it is it the, way, the right way to do uh, an effective campaign? And also, uh, are we also going into the trap of using our own assumptions uh, to validate what we want to say? So um, I think that uh, this is a um, using research and using data to underline and to, to support your message to create uh, a story. It's not something that's going to go away f- uh, very soon. But um, I think that um, with uh, more and more technology coming into the marketplace and more and more uh, options to fact check and uh, double check everything that is done, I think that those that uh, do these shortcuts uh, run a bigger risk of being exposed uh, further down the line. Yeah, and I hope you know I've I've been you know I've I've been asked to write a, a handful of editorials and opinion pieces over the last couple of years, and and at the end of the day, you know, I, sort of the the red thread that runs through all of them is. At times, we as communicators are our own worst enemy, right? Because we we can be creative, and and I think in a lot of instances that's really good. Where it isn't good is when we when we sort of pull things out of thin air to to bolster a story that may not be strong. And I think we probably need to be excuse me a little bit more honest with that. I think the other bit too is is that you know with the proliferation of sort of a number of things and I, I'm not going to name all of them specifically, but you know, with the, I think the, the environment has instigated a number of people who probably shouldn't be seen as professional marketers or communicators, 
you know, it's given them a platform from which to, to work and, and, and given them an opportunity to position themselves because they've, you know, they're good at branding or, or something along the, like personal branding. And I don't think that that's been helpful overall to, to agencies such as ITO or, or, you know, anybody else, you know, that I can think of, you know, on a, on a, on a big, bigger isn't the definition of it, but I think the more legitimate agencies in, in the traditional sense, uh, which please anybody listening to this, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that all freelancers are frauds or anything like that far from it. I think there's some really good freelancers out there. I think there's some that you just, you, you really have to query, you know, what's your perspective and what is that based on? No, so, but, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry, but, but I think you're right in your observation, but also being around for some years uh, in this industry, I think we also have to be open to, to um, sorry, that was Siri coming That's in. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, she's joined the podcast. Yeah, I think is we need to be open to the new voices that come through because yeah. us that's been through for a while, we see the techniques they use. We've done it ourselves in the past. We've also wanted to get noticed. So I think it's very important to embrace everybody that co- wants to come in as a, um, with their fresh perspectives and want to address something. Uh, because the the the, the big um, uh, advantage they have is that they haven't gone into all the walls that the rest of us have throughout our career. So, uh, yep. yeah. No, that's good. And yeah, I, I, I think we're aligned on that. I think the, the last thing I sort of saved the most controversial point, I think for, for last, uh, at least to me, it's, it's somewhat controversial and I would have never, I don't know. The, the conversation does happen, but I would have never really subscribed to it until I read your white paper, obviously. Um, and that is the position you all have taken around gating content. And I want you to provide the unfiltered version of, <laughs> of your view of gated content. Uh, we, we, we are an adults only podcast for the most part. So, so you're free to speak. Uh, as bluntly as you'd like to. That's refreshing. Uh, I stood <laughs> on the stage uh, last year at the biggest B2B conference in Norway, and I proclaimed that uh, my position was fuck gating. That's, and, you did. I, That's yeah. right. <laughs> and I'll reserve the, I'll, I'll use nicer language from now on. But my perspective on this is that for a long, long time, marketers around the world has destroyed and uh, just wiped out every part of what's good about gating something. And, and what, what I say is that there are so much shit being put behind a yeah. payment wall in terms of uh, please leave your personal details here. Uh, you download it and you just get a product brochure and you get nothing that is relevant. Uh, yep. And also two minutes later, you're called up for some someone from another continent wanting to pitch you something or sell you something. So it's not a bad tool to gate something, but the problem is that we marketers have destroyed destroyed it ourselves. So, and from my perspective, um, to build a brand, the last thing you should do is prevent your customers from reading and getting access to your best messages and the marketing content. So you, you spend a lot of time, you've used an agency, you spent a lot of time internally, you created really good content and then you stop people from reading it because they don't want to leave their personal details. And for me, that's stupid. For me, that's like 
opening in a opening a new restaurant, mar- using a lot of money on marketing it, and then you stop people from entering the door. You 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 just refuse them at the door. Um, so so my perspective is that the courageous CMO has the guts and the balls to wait until the customers themselves are ready to make contacts. Uh, you have to have the um, the coolness and the uh, ice in your stomach to wait until the customer he himself or herself is ready to take contact you and say, listen, I've read what you've written. I think it's your interesting perspectives. Can we please have a chat? Um, so for me, and I've, I've said this to customers in Norway for many years now, and we've done it ourselves. We've created several white papers that we have not gated. And uh, the following months, we've seen a huge uh, increase in uh, contact us forms uh, being filled out. New customers won. Uh, For us, we've uh, won more customers uh, without uh, competition. Uh, We've gone through the, or we haven't had to go through the pitch stage. They've read our content. They say, you're good enough. We want to work with you. We've also seen a lot of other metrics in terms of a lot more people signing up for our newsletters. And we also saw last year that our share of organic search on Google went up 30%, which is quite significantly. It is. So, yeah. So, so for us, it's about having the, it's about having the confidence to think that people themselves want to contact you when they've read anything and they've let them do their decision journey themselves. I th- look, I came into reading that white paper just of one mind. And, and, and in fact, you know, even, even after I read it and we were conceiving this, this campaign that we're, that we're going to be uh, leveraging for BBN, you know, there was still this idea around, yeah, I get what Andreas is saying, but we're going to gate there. We're going to gate the white paper. Of course we are. But, you know, you, you really turned us around on that thought. Um, and, and, and I think what we're going to do instead, not, I think we are going to do instead is we're using the white paper as the basis of the core piece of content. Um, and then within that, we're going to connect to blog pieces, little videos, you know, case studies, things along those lines. And to your point, have the bravery, um, have the boldness of, of not gating those things, but, you know, we'll still give you an opportunity. If you like what you've read, if you, if you agree with it, or if you want to more know for more information, yeah, give it. Yeah. Now reach out and we'll, we'll even make it passive. We'll give you our information. You can give me a call. You can send me an email. You don't even have to enter your information and get dropped into HubSpot uh, on, on our end of things. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think it's a really refreshing take. I think, you know, it's something that we should talk more about and I couldn't agree with you more. And in, in the sense that one of the most frustrating things is this ties back to my other comment. And I think that there are people who really aren't good communicators or, or marketers who have just really bastardized this profession for their own personal financial gain and, you know, a, last week, as an example, I knew that when I did a certain things, I responded to an email, I knew within a couple minutes, I was going to get a phone call. And so part of me wanted to see, and it was, it was within two and a half minutes, I timed it. 
And it's just insane to me that, that and, and, and it, it wasn't valuable. They, you know, they, they, they clearly didn't really understand what it is they were a selling B who they were selling to and see why it is that they wanted to talk to me. Right. It was just, and, and it just, it's crap all, 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 all the way through. I totally agree. And I think that's, and for those listening to this, please don't understand, please don't believe that I don't think we should catch data because I think it's essential to catch data, but I don't Agreed. think, I don't think we should catch data at top of funnel. I think we should have more soft conversions like sign up for newsletter or maybe sign up for a webinar or give them something that is of value so that yeah. they thank you for, uh, they're actually willing and uh, want to give you their personal details. And then also, please don't ask about too much personal details, uh, limited to what is important. And I think the the key discussion about should you gate or not comes down to really addressing two key questions. And the first one is, what is your company's uh, uh, goals in terms of marketing and your business? Often, most people will say, we want to grow, we want to uh, win more customers. And then my answer is, okay, why should you refuse them in the door? Why should you chase them away to your competition that doesn't gate? And the second one that any CMO has to ask for himself is that, is your brand strong enough for gating to work? And I think that most marketers, uh, if they're honest with themselves, would uh, say no, that uh, you should not uh, you should not prevent your customers from getting to, to know you better and getting to know better the real value that your organization can deliver and have delivered. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's probably a good place to leave it. We'll definitely have Andreas or, or someone from his team come on again later, maybe towards the end of the the campaign and and, and we'll go through some of the, the good data that we're going to gather and, and whatnot. So thank you for joining us, Andreas, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you find this episode and this podcast of value, please share it on social media, like us wherever you get your podcast. Um, don't accept any gated forms unless you, you know you're going to get something of value. And we'd love to get your five-star review. So until next time, thank you. BBN Mixtape is a production of BBN. Subscribe from your favorite podcatcher for episode transcripts, links, and more. If you like this show, give us a nice five-star rating. It's how you can help more marketers find us. Thank you. And we will talk in the next episode.